Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. In her face and stuff, said that she is an obituary liar. Liar. If she did something wrong, mom would hit her with the itchy stick. Good night, sugar babe. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we are coming back at you this week with episode 60, The Murder of Vera Joe Regal. Episode 60. And what a story this one is. Yeah. So we thought that we would go light. <laughs> You're Think right. Think again. We thought we would go a little bit lighter this week because, you know, I probably spent like upwards of like 12 to 15 hours. I, I read the book twice. I read her last case which was Natasha Kampusch. I read her memoir twice and I loved it and I don't regret doing it, but I was like, let's go with something a little easier this week. A little more mellow. Not necessarily mellow, but like maybe something that we can just like watch and take notes on. Yeah. Not so intense on the research. Yeah. So that didn't happen. Well, I mean, we didn't have to read a book, but... On all these true crime message boards, there is a movie that keeps getting repeated over and over and over <laughs> again. And it's just people being like, what the fuck did I just watch? They're like, good night, sugar babe. What the fuck did I just watch? People don't have anything else to say about it at all. It's just like, what the fuck? What else can you say about the it? The only other thing that people <laughs> have said is like, they should. everyone in that documentary needs to be in jail. And I'm like, wow. This seems like there's only one review for this documentary. So I was like, well, should probably watch it then. So and yeah. I didn't I didn't know anything about it other than obviously a murder took place. And, and so I just turned it on. <laughs> wow. And it was like getting hit by like a 10 pound I, a train. I know I was going to say that, but I don't want to say that. It was like getting hit in the face with a big fist. I was not ready for it. Or maybe like kissing someone with those teeth. Yeah. So one thing. So at the top here, I do want to say that there should be a disclaimer on this episode. This one, we are going to need a disclaimer. Yeah. There is incest. There's rape. All kinds of rape. Baby rape. rape. There's. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Baby's sodomy. I don't even know. It doesn't matter. It uh, lo- small town stuff. There's lots of violence. Yeah, there's lots some of abuse. Prison penises. There's dog poop eating. It's it's like it's like the worst John Waters movie times a hundred. There's a pig in a cupboard. It really does. See, it seems like it's the family from was it Pink Flamingos? It's the U.S. Goalers. Yeah, it's the U.S. Goalers for sure. But also, it does harken back to Pink Flamingos a bit. Uh, <laughs> Just a little bit. Like, Pink Flamingos is like a PG film compared to, like, this family or this cult, whatever you want to call it. But we did get some good news today, which maybe we'll save for the we'll end. Save. There's some breaking news. 
but we'll save that for the end. Oh, and actually just one update or two updates for the people who listened to our Yasser Saeed case. Yeah. His court case has gone forward along with his son and brother who helped hide him for the past like 12 years. And so his son pled guilty, I believe, and got like 20 years or something. And then the brother pled not guilty and was just sentenced to 13 years. And so the next up on the docket is Yasser Saeed. And for those of you who have not listened to that episode, we did get a chance to interview people from the documentary as well as the documentarian. Super amazing woman, Ruth Trotter. She's been also keeping us abreast of the situation on Twitter. And so that's where we're getting our news updates from. So we just want to, again, thank Ruth and Shoel for you know, just keeping us aware of what's going on in the Yasser Saeed case. Going forward, if the son got that much time and the brother got that much time, I'm guessing Yasser is... Someone should... Um, he's going to either get take death him for or a life ride in prison. And just turn around and shoot him like he did to his daughters. Yeah. So anyways, anyways. That's, that's one update of another fucked up family. And actually, Tissy does not not remind me of Sherry. In this story. They get their hair done at the same place, I think. <laughs> Probably. I was... I, I didn't even know she had hair because of all the other stuff going on with her. So this documentary, it really just comes out swinging. And all it's these... confusing. Fucking throwbacks in it look like they are like the people that were too fucked looking to make it on The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, I mean, okay, I have another disclaimer here. I'm going to probably talk a lot of shit. So, yeah. And so there's that. for the most part, we try to only talk shit about the bad people. But I mean, no one's really it's, good. It's here. like there's not a single dentist that lives in Ohio in this thing. Like there are some people with decent teeth, but weirdly enough, they're products of <laughs> incense. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> buckle up because this is <laughs> one hell of a story. Yeah. So we're going to try to make this as linear as possible, which is not something that the documentary seeks to do. The documentary just like literally is like. It's like that movie Irreversible where it starts from the fucking back and you, yeah, gotta, yeah, like, yeah, you can't yeah. remember five seconds. In front. And, it, and it's traumatizing. Yeah, for sure. So we good night, sugar, babe. You're like, why is it called that? So there's a character. Her name is Sherry Lynn Brooks. And her nickname is Sugar Babe. She is the furthest thing from sugar or a babe. <laughs> yeah. So just honestly, listen to this podcast first and then go watch the documentary. It'll be a lot easier. I We watched it twice now and I will post my <laughs> family tree diagram. We had to. So there's a lot of people involved in this story and we actually we whittled it down to make a diagram to keep all these fucking weirdos. And, and basically we've cut out all aunts, uncles and almost all cousins because there's a lot. And it's not that they don't matter in the documentary, but in audio form where you guys don't have a visual to help you along, we, it would just be too much. OK, here we go. <laughs> So Sherry Lynn Brooks, a.k.a. Sugar Babe, she had a shitty childhood. OK, so again, kind of similar to Tissy, kind of similar to like other characters. We're going to feel a tiny bit of sympathy for her at the beginning. But don't worry, she's going to be a fucking monster later on. That sympathy does not last. long. This one does not last long at all. No. 
Um, but again, I don't want that to lessen the amount of victimhood she went through very early on. Uh, you have the power to change. You have the power to turn the other cheek. You don't have to become the abuser um, if you've been abused. So that's just a reminder. That's true. So but some people are also thrown into just a world of shit. And, and, and no she escape. was. And she absolutely <laughs> was thrown into out. a world of shit. So she she had a super shitty childhood. Her mother's name is Charlotte Ethel. I'm only going to introduce her now. She comes into it minorly throughout. She's actually kind of a sweet old looking lady, but don't I let think, that fool you. Yeah, I think that she definitely let things obviously go on and never checked her daughter and never checked her family that was obviously abusing one another. She has an unnamed molester father and he would molest her. And I'm assuming all of the kids and he started calling her sugar babe, which she kind of wears the molestation and the outcome and all of the stuff surrounding the molestation almost as a badge of honor. And again, she's a fucking monster. So I would never say this about a, an abuse victim, but like Sherry is okay with keeping it in the family to some extent and although i to a large I, extent i know that obviously as like a five or six year old girl the last thing on earth you want to do or have done to you is be molested by your father and i feel bad for five-year-old sherry but you don't feel bad for teenager sherry or adult sherry at all so as a result of the molestations, all the kids were taken away from Ethel and molester dad. I'm assuming that Sherry was the oldest. They don't really talk about her childhood too, too much. But and, and we use some sources outside of the documentary. But for the most part, the documentary is our primary source because this story was not heavily written about there's online outside of like true crime blogs. Yeah. yeah, there's not even a lot of like local newspaper clippings because all of this takes place in Finlay. Ohio, which is a fairly small town, a, smir- th- a, a fairly small fucked town. Yeah. Although my dad says it's larger. I don't know. So the sad thing about everyone being in foster care is that everyone is adopted away except for Sherry, which again sucks to be her. Right. I don't think she was an easy foster kid and I don't think she necessarily wanted to be placed again. Not victim blaming. I'm just stating the facts here. She ages out of the foster system, which, as many people know, is very, 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 very difficult because if you have a family and you turn 18, you have a family to go back to, right? Yeah. If you age out of the foster system, you have a bunch of people who like looked after you for a month or two here, a year or two here, and nobody, and you don't own anything. You don't have a room. You don't have a family to fall back on. So I do feel bad for 18-year-old Sherry. And again, I think that some of her shit happens out of necessity. So she starts, I believe she just moves back in with her molester father. Yep. When she turns 18. No other options. She, yeah. And and again, that sucks. I'm sure if she had been adopted away, maybe some of this stuff could have been prevented. So she comes back home to her okay. dad's place and the abuse just picks up where it left off. Yeah, basically. And then the dad would come into Sherry's room where she was sleeping with her boyfriend and he would kick the boyfriend out of the bed to sleep with Sherry. 
And by some accounts, and again, we can't know this for sure or anything, was that she was in a somewhat consensual sexual relationship with her father. Okay. Which again... I would never allege against anyone, but this isn't just anyone. This is Sherry Brooks, a.k.a. Sugar Babe. Okay. All right. So (laughs) her first serious relationship after all of that was with her cousin, but not as any cousin, her first cousin, Oh. (laughs) which is her mother's sister's son. That's pretty close. I know right? she's like, well, you know, it was her his her mother's sister's son. It's like, yeah, that's her fucking cousin. Like, so his name is Daniel Bixler. We're gonna call him Senior because there's gonna be another Danny Bixler in in a little bit. We're only gonna mention him basically this one time. But yep, they were kissing cousins. More like fucking cousins. But anyways, in 1981, Scotty, who's potentially the most normal sweet guy in the entire thing he's born as a product of their incest though and he's hyper aware of it that's what sucks too uh yep this is a good one (laughs) yeah he was like i'm what i'm what you call a product of what what is it incest it's it's it sucks it sucks how aware but he's a good guy in it like he he's the one for everyone involved he is like the best one yeah He's very honest and he definitely doesn't try to like make anybody. It's just he's, he tells the facts. Everybody else, they shade, I think, what they're, what they're meaning to say. He has no filters and I really appreciate that about him. So we don't really care about Daniel Bixler too, too much because he does end up being in another relationship where he killed his partner and then went on a high speed chase with police officers in an 18 wheeler and then crashed and he's in prison for life now. Their relationship is they never get married or I don't think it's I don't think it's legal. Maybe it's I, I don't know. Yeah, this ain't Utah. OK, but it it but it's close to Kentucky. I don't know. So <laughs> they don't end up in a long term relationship. They just have one kid. Her next relationship that she's with is with a guy I believe named Mike. And I couldn't get basically I think she has three significant partners in her life other than her dad. And the second one is, I, th- I think, a dude named Mike. And, and like, for the most part, he's negligible. But she has her next three kids with him, I believe. So that's just a note. And then she meets a guy named Kevin Sr. I'm going to call him Sr. because there's going to be a junior. We'll post our little family tree here. on. Yeah, so if you need to follow along. Yeah, you might need to. So he's Kevin Brooks. So that's where they get the Brooks name from. And they have basically between Mike and Kevin, they have the rest of her eight kids. Yes, she has eight. And just as a quick little, I'll look at my graph right here. So there's Scotty, who I believe is number one. Joshua, which is number two. He doesn't come into it. Michael, which is 1985. He's number three. He's in the documentary a lot, but he's not super important to the story. He's married to somebody, though, who's pretty important to the story. And we'll bring her up. Her name's Shannon. Then there's little Maria in 1986, and she's taken away. Then there's little Sherry in 1987, who's also taken away. Basically, she's never able to keep the little girls because she molests them. And little Sherry is 
the the smallest mention ever but for maria gets brought up a lot as just kind of like the baby that got away and as a result or maybe even a precursor sherry is obsessed with baby girls obsessed and we'll get into it more later so those are the only two kids she couldn't keep basically because she couldn't stop molesting them then there was kevin jr which is aka punky and we will refer to him as punky throughout then there's Zachary, Garth, and Chucky. So those are all of her kids. She has seven boys and two girls. And the two girls do not come into it other than they're taken away by Child Protective Services. And Zachary is one that we'll probably be focusing on the most because he is the one who dates Vera. And Vera will come into it very soon. Okay, you on board, Kevin? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah. So... One other thing I want to note is that the entire family, maybe except for Kevin Sr., I'm not sure, they're a bunch of crips. Is that right? That's what they're LARPing as, yes. <laughs> That's what they're LARPing as. So, yeah, they're really into, like, literally almost every picture you see of them, like a still picture, they're, like, throwing up some crips gang signs and wearing like blue bandanas and stuff and we even see sherry do it at certain parts so at this point when the sons are you know this age and stuff sherry is bound to a wheelchair because mm -hmm. she type 2 diabetes morbidly yeah, obese she is like an uglier version of job of the hut from star wars yeah she's like amy hasn't seen that so she doesn't know what i'm talking about well no i've seen it i i get the reference How about I, that? she probably eats frogs like that too yeah but her feet are fucked. They're, yeah, they're, they're bandaged and like pus is like clearly coming to the surface on both of her feet. And they zoom in on her feet more than once it's so like, that you can get a visual. It's like fucking dead alive feet. Yeah. It's no good. <laughs> also, their family as, is known as frequent flyers to both 911 and the local police. And... One of the most normal looking people in the documentary is the 911. You're like, wait, how are you? Oh, you're not part of the family. She she knows the family so well from phone calls that they, they actually interview the 911 operator. Yeah, she just know, knows their voices. Yes, like very well. And she calls them frequent flyers. So these guys run around the neighborhood pretending to be Crips, calling themselves the Brooks clan. And there's a rival gang down the street that they fight at the park or whatever the fuck they do. Um, but yeah, total oogles. So now we're going to focus on our victim. Sorry for starting with the villain, but we're going to focus on our victim, Vera Jo Regal. We know that she starts dating one of Sherry's kids when she's a teenager, but her origin story with the Brooks clan starts much earlier. And this is also an indication of where we get Sherry being obsessed with little baby girls. So when Sherry gets Maria taken away in 1986 or 1987, because she has her for a whole year before she's taken away. She should was, we get into that story right now? What? The baby Maria story. Oh, gosh. Should we? You you go ahead. OK, so it's it's short. It's sad. That's fucked. Sherry and or a friend are changing little Maria's diapers and blood is seen in the diapers. And the friend says, you have to report this. Sherry gets really like defensive and says, oh, it's the guy that's living here. It's a guy that's living here. It's not me. 
So another thing we should bring up about this house that they live at is like this fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. And there's like upwards of like 15 to 20 people living there at any given time. Right. And it's like falling apart and disgusting and filled with trash, human and physical garbage. Yeah. (laughs) So at any time, there's just randos living there. And Sherry likes them because like she's a really controlling person and she's basically like trying to get everyone to shit out girls so so that she, she can, can take them do bad things to them yeah so i'm pretty sure it's a it's a friend who's like watching sherry change the diapers sees the blood in the diapers and it's like you got to report this and so they t- her and the friend take her to the hospital and then basically they file a report and then sherry takes her baby away from the hospital and then drops her off at her mother's house charlotte's house and says here she's gonna spend the night with you and the mother's like this is weird because you're like obsessed with your baby why are you letting her be in my possession you know (laughs) not sketchy at all not sketchy at all and then the next morning the police come to charlotte's house being like hey give us baby maria you were reported as having her kidnapped and it was to get, so it was Sherry, whether we like her or not is a little bit of a manipulative mastermind. She gets herself out of things. So to kind of cast some kind of like either doubt or time or space from Maria, that's why she drops her off at the mother's house, you know, because and then basically Maria's gone out of the picture for the rest of the time. And hopefully she got adopted away to a good family and never had to know that Sherry was her mother. Yes. Yes. And that's what we hope for little Sherry, too. We know nothing about. So when Sherry had Maria and had her taken away, she was living in the same apartment complex as a woman named Verna and a dude named Willard who had a little baby girl named Vera Jo, who was about the same age as Maria. Once Sherry had Maria taken away, she starts kind of coveting and like being like obsessed with baby Vera. And Vern, and I think she just asks for the kid, right? She's like, can I have her? I'm not sure how that went down. But Verna was like, stay the fuck away from us. Uh, Verna is like a gray character because... Yes, she's Vera's mother, but they do become estranged at some point because Vera's father was molesting her and potentially the mother allowed it to happen and didn't report him or anything. I don't know what's going on in this fucking town. Yeah, there's a lot of molestation. God damn. Yeah. So like I said, Vera was molested by her father and then she becomes estranged from her mother and then she actually grows up with an aunt. Um, She's got severe ADHD and everyone throughout the entire documentary, including a former teacher, said that she had the mental capacity of an eight year old. But it doesn't seem like she's really diagnosed with a learning disability. But they're it's it's almost more like they're saying that her emotional age is eight years old. I don't I'm sure she had some disability getting through a school, but she did graduate high school. And basically they said that she never got to the point in her maturation where she wasn't eager to please, like to the point where it was unhealthy. So at 19, Vera started dating a 13-year-old Zachary, which is one of Sherry's kids. Now, I know it might sound like she is the predator in the situation, but you have to understand that Sherry made her kids, her boys, go out and find girlfriends so and remember 
her emotional age is eight years old. She seems like a very, very, very innocent character in this. So even though, yes, she's 19 and he's 13, it seems like potentially the relationship was more predatory on Zach's end. And he was really trying to appease his mother, Sherry. Right. Because she's mentally eight years old. Yes, but she's still technically 19 and that is statutory rape. So we're acknowledging that it's illegal, but we do like Sherry very much anything goes. Yeah, and Sherry wanted it. After, I think, a couple years, potentially, of dating, Vera moved into Sherry's house at 300 Center Street in Finlay, Ohio, and essentially became their slave. You want to talk about the feet? I'm not sure how long it took for her to just be a full-on slave to Sherry, but so her number one job was rubbing Sherry's disgusting... They called it doing her feet. Doing her feet. I think that she had to rub them and, and maybe even bandage. Yeah, yeah, like like ointment them and bandage them. They're disgusting. Nothing in this story is pretty. So they also believe, and I believe, I think it's been corroborated, that when Vera moved in, Sherry was very aware of the fact that she had a disability check. And in fact, I believe all of her kids were on disability, including her. So none of these people had jobs. They were all collecting, you know, social security money, disability money and stuff. And she was able as like Vera's place where she lived, like as her landlord, she was able to have the disability checks basically written directly to her. And she had a racket going. And she wanted all of her boys' girlfriends to live with them. I'm assuming Shannon was on a disability check. She doesn't look very able. Yeah. She I mean, looks she, like she looks like she could put away a Slurpee or five, but yeah, I don't think she could. She's probably like a holy terror at Popeye's. So, and again, I'm only saying this because, one, it's funny. And then, two, Shannon's not a good person. Nope. Sherry's not a good person. Okay. I don't feel bad making fun of them. Yes. Do you want to talk about something? I was going to. No, I don't. I don't want to talk about these guys anymore. Okay. Also, another tenant of the house was non-human. And that was a. Pig. Yes. Who (laughs) could poop wherever it wanted. It lived in a cupboard. I think they call it pigging around. Yeah. And they actually forced Vera to like sleep in the cupboard with the pig some nights. Yeah. They thought it was hilarious. So uh, apparently at some point, I don't know who. Like Humane Society or something. The Humane Society gets called to the house. I don't know how. But come and take this pig out of this house because it's too fucked for a pig to live in yeah but, but it's fine for the human children that live there all these human gremlins just shitting out babies yeah but the pig was there for years it's just something that you you have to point out at a certain point i think when she's like 23 years old vera gets pregnant and sherry becomes super duper excited because that's her whole fucking thing in life is her boys girls getting pregnant and crossing her fingers that it's a girl and she would tell the girls if you have a boy you can keep them if you have a girl they're mine that is just fucking weird yeah 
So she was so excited about the 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 birth of the the baby girl, which her name is Willa Dean. She wanted that baby girl out, right? She wanted it as a birthday present to herself. Her birthday is on November 3rd. The baby's not due till like December 9th. Hmm. So what does she do on like the 2nd? Uh. She makes Vera drink three bottles of castor oil that she mixes with some orange juice. Now, castor oil is like an old wives myth where like two tablespoons can help induce labor. Uh, basically, it's it's an extreme diuretic and laxative and it probably does kind of push those muscles to start contracting, I guess, because your body's your body's uncontrollably pooping, right? So she gives her three bottles of castor oil and it causes her a lot of pain and agony. And she goes to the hospital and labor is induced basically at this point. She's in labor for, I believe, like two days and the baby is born on November 4th, one day after Sherry's birthday. Right. And she's a month early and there are complications. She has to stay in the hospital for a while. But Sherry says... Well, she wanted to come up so bad for my birthday and share some turkey and green beans and yams with her with her mama for Thanksgiving. Blah. I know. It's disgusting. Luckily, baby Willa Dean is really fucking cute. She's got these sparkling blue eyes, blonde hair. She's very cute. Yeah. Luckily, she's healthy. She she ends up being healthy. However, Vera's never allowed to touch her or be near her or Sherry orders Zachary to hit her and and Zachary like probably does shit on his own anyways like I don't think he always needs Sherry telling him what to do but it's not like he loves this girl it's not like he loves his baby he's just fucking a, he's a nightmare yeah so Willa Dean the little baby girl she sleeps in Sherry's bed for the first six months which is terrifying to think about because again the last two baby girls were taken away from her within a year so you just kind of wonder what the fuck is happening with the baby in the bed with her and then also just like kind of a side note Vera's not allowed to have a cell phone at all and she has pretty much forced by Sherry and the family to cut off all contact with her family when her family sees her out and about at all she hides her head, says she can't talk, and runs away. Like, literally runs away from her family. And this is family who loves her. Like, yeah. aunts and uncles and stuff. There's a lot of police involvement in Vera that's starting around September of 2010. So, Vera's sister, who was super-duper close with Vera before she left, she calls the police to tell them that Vera was being held against her will and that she wanted the police to do a wellness check. Well, when the police do the wellness check, they ask her, she's 24 at this point, and they're not considering her emotional or mental age because I don't believe that there's like an actual diagnosis or anything going on. And they ask her, you know, are you okay? And she says, yes. And of course, every single time the police come and talk to her, every single time like DHS or CPS or whatever comes and talks to her, Sherry's always present and you know being in the same room as your tormentor as your abuser you're not going to answer the same as if you were on your own and police never separate them and which is fucking insane so then right around this time when she, you know after Willa Dean is born and all of that stuff Punky 
who is also Kevin Jr., right? He dies. So He's he, the one that gets hit by the car. Yeah. So on August 5th, 2010, him and his girlfriend, Heather, are walking along a dark highway to go buy some heroin. And he gets struck and killed by a cab. Now, Sherry spins the story to say Heather must have pushed him. She needs someone to blame. She cannot accept that this is an accident. So she gets other girls, I believe, like cousins of the family to like beat up Heather. Because again, she's just like a weird ringleader. She keeps comparing herself to Charles Manson as well. Like I can make people do stuff for me. This is my family. Right. And so I think, again, I don't I don't even think she thinks that Heather had anything to do with it. I just think she wants to see what kind of control and power she can exert on people. So. Basically, that's the story she spins for a little while is that my punky could have never died in an accident. It had to have been by malicious intent by Heather. So she vilifies Heather big time. The end. In January of 2011, there's another incident at the house where the police are called and they come and Vera's nose is broken and she's got a big bump on her head. Most likely she's concussed and Sherry spins this tale about a black boyfriend coming and beating her up so on top of all of everything sherry's also a racist piece of shit yeah so she pins it on a demetrius thompson or like darius it's just like what typical black name can i think of right and you can see her concocting this story like on the documentary she's just like oh what's a black name that i can blame it on she's not the best liar and so she was like oh yeah her black boyfriend came by and beat her up the end no, it was fucking Zachary, duh. So the police interview her. She goes with along with whatever Sherry says to say, and then they let her go. And she's still concussed at this point. I don't even think she was fully treated at the hospital. And at this point, she's so introverted and hurt by the family, but can't leave that she just stays in her room a hundred, like 100% of the time. And she will only come out when Sherry tells her to. So in March of 2011, they get two new people that add into the house. And their names are Danny Bixler Jr., who's 21 years old, and his piece of shit girlfriend, Nicole Peters, who's 17 years old. They are the hillbilly version of Bonnie and Clyde, or <laughs> they'd like to think that they are. It's not even hillbilly. It's like... Yeah, Pseudo that's like gangster. I know that's that's like being mean, mean to hillbillies. I sorry, I take that back. It's bad. Like I don't know. So basically, she like started writing to this guy in prison, and then they get together, and he gets out. He had just gotten out of prison, and they start doing it right away. Uh, you get to see a pretty cool or two pretty cool penis pics. So on Danny Bixler Jr. Remember that's the. The, the fucking cousin the, the kissing right, cousin's yeah. other son from a, another relationship probably the one where he killed her his dad or mom ah there's so many people so anyways he's got your name y-o-u-r-n-a-m-e tattooed on his dick which you get to see in the documentary on a cell phone camera it's pretty cool it's a highlight for sure yeah i <laughs> i rewound it because i was like is that a tattoo? And you're like, I don't want to see this anymore. So he gets out of prison and him and his girlfriend, you know, the budding, lovely relationship between them. Um, they go to the park to the swings. So uh, there's some kids sitting on the swings and they walk up and 
he 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 wants to swing for his girlfriend. So they walk up and she uh, flicks a cigarette at this little kid that's like on on these swings. And then what's it, Danny? Yeah, beats this kid up to like uh, a bloody pulp. He sends him to the hospital. He needs yeah. to be hospitalized. Yeah. And then they they go on the run. So yeah, now they've got assault shit. And, and this this happened in Tiffin, Ohio, yeah, like twenty miles away. So then they run to Sherry's house because they're like, who's the trashiest person we know that would take us knowing that we're fugitives? Oh, Sherry. So he runs to Sherry's house. Now, remember, Sherry is his aunt, right? But her son, Scotty, is both his half brother and cousin at the same time. Where's think, Jerry think Springer? Think about that yeah. one. <laughs> Fuck yeah. So Danny Bixler Jr., let's talk about his physical appearance real quick. He has got the worst looking teardrop. I didn't even know it was a teardrop. So he just got out of prison. Yeah. And he's got this filled in teardrop on the inside corner of his like left eye. Yeah. And he's trying to claim that he it's it's because he killed someone in prison. But if we know anything about. And, and and by know anything about me, I mean, I know nothing. <laughs> but I could have sworn that when you, quote unquote, kill someone and you're in prison, you get a teardrop, but it's on the outer part of your eye and it tends to be hollow. I don't know the exact rules, but I've never seen a teardrop on the inside. And I've never seen it really filled in like that either. So there's another podcast we did listen to to get a bit of information from um, and I love them and I always rep them red handed. They're awesome. They were maybe saying that it was potentially a sign of potentially being like someone's bitch in jail. Yeah, like uh, like getting raped. Yeah, exactly. So we don't know for sure. I looked up. So if you know, like, let us know. <laughs> maybe you've been to prison and you're listening to our podcast or you're with someone who has that, you know, try to try to figure it out for us. But it was not easy to find online. I don't think he killed anyone at that point. He seems, I don't know. He's just like a fake gangster. So everyone at Sherry's house is really happy to see Danny Bixler. And they they immediately accept him with open arms and his girlfriend, Nicole. And they think it's really cool that he killed someone maybe and he's got a lot of crip cred. Like they kind of wanted him to be the new Punky like in their lives. And like Punky was supposed to be quote unquote set to be the leader of the Crips in the neighborhood. Okay. So Sherry tried to blame Punky's death on Heather, the girlfriend with him. But now she really wants little baby Willa Dean and she wants Vera out of the picture. Right. Because at this point, Zachary is really getting tired of her. He wants to go be with other people. He's really only like Vera is only there because of Sherry. She's not there of her own accord, really. And she still thinks that she's in a relationship with Zach, Zachary. But Zach kind of wants to just get rid of her. But Sherry knows that if Vera leaves, she is allowed to take the daughter with her. And she has every right to. So she, I believe at this point, is trying to concoct something to get Vera out of the picture or at least get custody of Willa Dean somehow. Right. So she spins this story to Danny like, oh, hey, Danny Bixler Jr. I fucked your dad and you're my... <laughs> Anyways, she's <laughs> like, you know who really pushed Punky in front of the cab is fucking Vera. And like at this point, he's like, dude, that's my crip brother. That's my cousin. That's my brother. <laughs> Whatever, you know. 
And then, so he's like irate about it. Like, what the fuck? That's crazy. And then on top of that, there's this shrine of Punky, I believe in Sherry's room. It's just like on a shelf. It's on it. Yeah, it's on a shelf in Sherry's room. It's like a picture of him. It's, it's, It's his ashes. And as you do with the dead, you have an offering and it seems fitting for the family that the offering that they have for him is a Kit Kat bar. Yep. I don't believe that this is true, but allegedly... Vera ate the Kit Kat bar, which is super disrespectful to Punky. So there's that. So she's got two strikes against her at this point. Danny fucking hates her because he's like, you're disrespecting my brother. You killed him. All this stuff. So she's already becoming this huge villain, false villain being concocted by Sherry in Danny's eyes. Right. So Danny gets a padlock and he attaches it to a belt and he uses this in the weeks, days before her murder to beat her with. He beats her with a padlock on a belt. That is fucking brutal. Yeah. She has welts all over her body. And then on top of that, his girlfriend, Nicole, finds a paddle. And allegedly, everyone says, mostly Shannon and Sherry, that Nicole beats Vera, which I believe because she's a piece of shit, too. And it gets them off, this couple, right, Danny and Nicole, it gets them off so hard that, like, after they beat the shit out of Vera, they go and fuck. Yeah. And all the beatings happen in Sherry's room. And so, basically, after Vera's beaten, it's basically assumed in the documentary that everyone fucks after they beat Vera, which is fucking disgusting. This is the worst. Like Sherry story probably ever. fucking like Sherry probably fucking molests the baby, and you know like because it gets her off. It's so gross. I don't want. I hate the words coming out of my mouth. Okay. At this point, Sherry needs more reasons for people to get pissed off at Vera, so she concocts a story about a rabbit cage and a brick. So apparently, when Vera is cleaning the rabbit cage, she allegedly drops a brick on sherry's disgusting diabetic foot and apparently like it that may have been an accident but basically it turns into she threw a rock at my foot then it turned into she threw bricks at my feet and then she's just like that fucking bitch and all this stuff so now you know she's the killer of punky she disrespected Punky's ashes, and now she's throwing bricks at Sherry's feet. So, again, the the fake reasons to hate Vera just keep piling, right? Yeah, she's fucked. Yeah, she's fucked at this point. And it's so bad. The beatings have gotten so bad, and they hate Vera so much. She can't even do the feet. Yeah, she can't. Yeah, there are nights where she can't do the feet, and then Scotty's forced to do it, and he's like, <laughs> So... Kevin Sr., he's actually still weirdly in the picture. He's like the biggest pussy of a man. He doesn't do shit. He doesn't stand up for anyone. He is just like the, I shouldn't say pussy, but. He made your cuck. Yeah. So he says, and multiple people say this in the documentary, he is basically reported as saying, wait till I'm in jail to kill her so I have an alibi. So he had like a 30, he had like a suspended 30 day sentence to do in jail for unrelated drug charges. And so he knew he was going to jail soon to serve those 30 days. So he's like, hey, can you guys at least wait? So like to kill her? Because clearly that's what you guys are going to do. I just don't want to be connected to a murder. So he goes to jail. And then 
The police are called numerous times at this point. Again, no statement is taken from Vera directly without Sherry in attendance. And then around this point, Sherry really starts talking about leaving Vera's body at the train tracks to have her turned into hamburger meat like Travis. So who's Travis? Travis is her other nephew from somebody else. Maybe that she fucked as well. I don't know. But Travis is a nephew of hers who was playing around by the train tracks and got decapitated. So he was at a skate park. Yeah. And two trains were passing and his head got caught in between them. Yeah. And she must have said hamburger meat like six times in the documentary. And she thought it was like funny. So one train decapitates him and then and the another other train comes runs and over his body, hits his body and turns it into hamburger meat, which is dis- I mean, she's like proud of the fact that she like, that's what I said. So she starts referencing Travis to the family being like, hey, remember what happened to Travis? Let's do that to Vera, too, basically. And multiple family members say this again. It's like Scotty and Shannon mostly. So th- they think that this is like the best way to dispose of a body. It, and make it unidentifiable. Yeah, like obliter. No, it's not that they're. It's not to un- not identify the body. It's to obliterate evidence. That too. Okay. At this point, Travis and Nicole just straight up start stabbing Vera. They take her into the bathroom and just stab her with a knife, like kitchen knives. And one stab wound is so bad that Sherry says she can stick her whole finger inside of it. And she thinks, again, she fucking and thinks And she does funny. stick her finger She in. says she stuck her finger in it. She's like, it was crazy. But she couldn't call 911 because she was in her wheelchair and no one would hand her a phone. I mean, it didn't, I whatever. I can't with her. So the night before her murder, Sherry gathered her kids together basically and concocted a cover story because she fucking knew shit was going to go down. She orchestrated it. She orchestrated it to go. I mean, she's orchestrating it right now. And what sucks, too, is that the day before Vera Jo is killed, they weirdly take her across the street to the Salvation Army to to the soup kitchen because that's where they go for lunch. And all the volunteers there are like, yeah, it looked like she went through a fucking windshield. That girl was so badly beaten. Like she looked like she was in a major car accident and nobody calls the police. It's really weird. It's really weird. Like this whole town does feel guilty. And like some of the people, I mean, they're Salvation Army volunteers. They're not supposed to be bad people. But you are bad if you neglect, if you're bad if you're a bystander and don't do shit about it. Like, I'm sorry. Then call the police and have it be, whoops, I didn't know she was a car accident in the end. Yeah, I know. I know. Just take the chance. So on March 26, 2011, this is the last day of Vera Jo Regal's life, which is one of the worst fucking days that anybody could ever have. So Shannon says, and I believe this is Shannon and Sherry's story, and and this is where my, my least two favorite women in the documentary. Shannon and Sherry say that Vera sprayed a bunch of mace upstairs. That sounds like something she'd probably do. And allegedly Shannon was three months pregnant at this point and had to go to the hospital and she miscarried at the hospital because of the mace. Now she says in the documentary, she wasn't pregnant and all this stuff. It gets very, very discombobulated here. 
whether she was pregnant or not is really not the point. The point is they needed something to push Danny and Nicole over the edge to kill Vera. And well, I do believe that Shannon was in on it. Uh, her little Facebook posts or whatever. Yeah, it says that she was pregnant two days right. prior. But it doesn't matter if she's pregnant or not. It really, right. really doesn't no, it's matter. No, it's just another reason. Yeah, exactly. It's just we need to concoct a story to make sure that Vera is killed today. Because Danny's blood is boiling, but it's not to the point where he's ready to kill her. So if Shannon miscarries, that'll be that'll be the thing to put him over the edge, right? So that's what happens. Chucky, we haven't really talked about him too much. He's kind of a piece of shit. Oh, he's yeah. the he's youngest. He's yeah, he's the young, youngest. And ale- this is, again, like it's I say allegedly, but I believe it happened. So the youngest of the clan, he looks like he's like 13 or 14 years old. He's a crip. He is a crip. He goes and picks up some dog poop in the yard and forces Vera to eat it. And apparently this isn't the first time. I hate this story. And then Nicole, potentially Chucky and Danny Bixler have her in the bathroom and they sodomize her with a plunger. And then they find out she's on her period. And so they sodomize her vaginal area with a toothbrush, get it covered in blood and then force her to brush her teeth with it. And this is by all accounts, like multiple people saying this. This is fucking horrendous. Everything about the final abuse on her last day sucks. Super like hardcore. Gummo 2.0. Yes. Well, so there's a street fight with this rival gang down the street. And um, I think Danny pulls a knife. Yeah. So then again, me- remember him and Nicole have a warrant for that for right. their arrest out in Tiffin. So they need to jet and Zach's going to jet with them. So they all jet and they lay low at an aunt's house for a little while. So they come. So they come back. Right. And Sherry is really pressuring Zach to basically get Danny and Nicole to kill Vera because she doesn't want her immediate children to be involved. She's like, do whatever you need to do to get them to kill her. But I don't want you actually there because I need you to have like reasonable doubt. You know, I need reasonable doubt on you. Yeah. Deniable plausibility. Yes. Plausible deniability. So at this point, Zachary is 100% in the know that Vera is going to die. And Danny and Nicole are ready to kill her. Also, Danny and Nicole and um, maybe Zachary too, they have been on like a two-day drug binge oh yeah with lots of ecstasy alcohol weed and cocaine yeah yeah so i mean i'm sure that they didn't have clear minds going into it but they definitely still this was very much premeditated murder they go into the house and they're like vera get your shoes on so at this point remember she's covered she's covered in stab wounds that are multiple days old that day whatever she's eating dog poop she's been sodomized by them she's fucking terrified of them they're like go get your shoes on and she says to scotty remember like the one decent guy in the whole story and he's still not even the greatest she says to scotty will you come with me because he's like the one guy who's not freakishly scary in the family and And he says the only guy not beating her yeah and so he says sure let me go upstairs and get my shoes on so zachary is up there and he because like Sherry is like, Zachary, you're not leaving this fucking house because I, you're not going to get implicated in this murder. And so when Scotty's getting his shoes, Zach stops him and says, you're not going because they're going to kill her. 
And then Sherry tells both of them, tell them that Danny stopped you from going. And so in the documentary, Scotty is like, my mom made me lie. So I'm just like letting, you know, the truth out now that Zach is the one that told me not to go, which put, which implicates Zach in the murder. He doesn't come back down and they're like, come on, let's go. And so she leaves for the last time, the house of horrors. She leaves for the last time to go on a walk with Danny Bixler Jr. and Nicole Peters. And basically from what it sounds like, Nicole just started stabbing her because they said the first cuts were really shallow and weak, most likely by a a woman. Then he takes the knife away from her and like jumps on the back of Vera. Well, I think before that happens. What? So she, Nicole is stabbing Vera and it's not very effective because they have a dull knife. And she's, and she's got wearing clothes. A bunch of clothes on, so they make her strip. No, 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 no. This is before that. He tries to slice her neck, and that's why oh. there's all the blood on the sweatshirt. Yeah, you're right. So he grabs the knife from Nicole, and then he jumps on her back, basically Vera's back, and tries to saw her head off. Okay, I told you guys this is a fucking rough one. He tries to saw her head off, basically, but the knife is so dull and he can't break the bone. So he gives up and this is when they strip her. And we have evidence of the neck being done prior to the, her stripping because of all you can see. They show it in the documentary. Yeah, the There's just a ton of blood right where the neckline is. So at this point, I hate to say it. She's still alive. They make her strip all of her clothes off and they don't even try to hide it. Like this just like bloody pink sweatpants like in the bushes. And then... Basically, I believe Danny Bixler takes over at this point and he stabs her a bunch and they basically carry her over to the train tracks and they try to set her head like on the tracks so that when the train comes, it'll decapitate her. What I don't understand either is that if they want it to look like an accident or something, I mean, she's naked. Yeah. Like there, this is a terrible. And they have, they don't recover the clothes or anything they just leave everything and they and he throws a knife in the river and he ends up telling them that later it's it's just it's crazy so they leave her and and for and i would trigger warning about the documentary big time it's probably the most out of all i mean out of all the things we've talked about it's probably the worst thing in the documentary they no less than four to five times show her naked body, body her actual body covered in blood on the train tracks so if that if you can't handle that stuff you can't watch the doc- documentary it's it's really harsh I, and they show it within the first few minutes too they show like part of her body on the tracks yeah it's just this documentary is yeah th- there is full there's on. a lot of shit talking about the documentary in a sense because it was it's very vivid and it does really give you a sense of what happened like none other. But at the same time, it, it does feel exploitative at certain points for sure. And it's definitely towards Vera. So they leave her body on the tracks so that they're hoping that the train decapitates her and they leave. To go party. To go party. Yeah. But with her last ounce of survival instinct, she actually crawls onto the track. And so she like is between laying. Between the rails. Yeah. No, not between the... Yeah, yeah, between the rails so that the train would pass over her. So she lays in a fetal position, a 12-inch high fetal position, and the train's clearance is 13 inches. So when the train goes 
over her, it completely misses her, which preserves her body perfectly. She must have died sometime between pulling herself in between the tracks and the tr- and, and then the train conductor calling 911. He actually thought that it was a baby deer on the road. Like he and then he, when he realized he was like, oh, my gosh, there's a na- there's a naked woman covered in blood on the tracks. Like you need to come now. Yeah. So this party, like we, there's a lot of attendees at the party and there's pictures of like them high fiving and like giving a thumbs up and like flipping them off and everyone's drinking vodka and doing drugs and stuff. And they are Danny and Nicole are openly talking about killing Vera. And Nicole is just jubilant. Oh, jubilant. 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 Yeah, she is. She's like, I got my teardrop tonight. So she can match her fucking boyfriend. These people are so fucked. I know. So and and like there's a lot of people saying the same thing and they're even unrelated to the family. So there's no doubt in my mind that Nicole and Danny are the major killers. But the thing is what sucks and that's there's an organization called Voices for Vera who agree with how much this sucks is that yes you put you know the two people charged with murder were Danny Bixler Jr. and Nicole Peters. But there were other people responsible for Vera's death. Sherry almost more so than any. She was the con. She was the person who contracted the killing, essentially. Yeah. We also know of Sherry's guilt as well, because the next day, I don't even know. Her body was found at like 3 a.m. But like by 8 a.m., Sherry and I, I don't even think it was announced or anything. Sherry was already calling like the Department of Human Services to make sure that Zachary got full custody of the daughter. Yeah. Like the she body's was, not even cold yet. Yeah, and she was like on the bullhorn, being like, "I need my baby girl," because she was trying to get Zachary to get full custody of her, so that so he would just he would just hand him over the baby yeah, over yeah, to course. her. Yeah, no no questions asked. And then months later, fighting for quote unquote fighting for custody of his daughter, he misses a court date or he misses a, a supervised visit. So he shows up late, I think, to the first one, right? Yeah, and she doesn't want to be near him. And She's the baby freaking out. Does not like totally freaks out anytime she's around him. Yeah, and so he he then the second visit or just no, doesn't show he's up. not late. She's freaking out so bad that he leaves early. Yeah, yeah, and then the second visit he misses entirely. Right, and so she's put up for adoption. Fucking luckily, could you imagine? And she's adopted out. I hear probably nine, ten years old now. I hear just from diving into like Facebook groups and stuff and people who say that they know the family. I hear she's doing very well now and she's a beautiful little girl. And she was adopted from a family that lives far enough away that she never has to run into, you know, family at all. And so I'm really, really happy to hear that. That's and good. the best news of all. Well, I guess. OK, there's a couple updates. Just kind of Zach gets four years for a prior theft and obstruction. I think that the obstruction charges had something to do with Vera's death, basically like lying to police. Right. And that happens in August of 2011. So just like five months after her death. And then in October of 2011, Sherry gets sentenced to five years probation for obstruction of justice, I believe directly related to Vera. 30 of those days need to be spent in jail, uh, but she gets that suspended because her feet are disgusting and they can't take care of her. That's how bad her feet are. The jail doesn't even want her. (laughs) Yeah. 
what did Danny Jr. get? And uh, oh, D- Danny Jr. Thank you, uh, Danny Jr. and Nicole Peters. They were both found guilty of murder. She got like tw- she took a plea deal, and basically that's one of the reasons we know so much because part of the plea deal was you know giving all the details. She got twenty three years. I believe Danny Bixler got life because gotcha. he was the he was the major perpetrator. But the best news of all we wanted to save for last. Breaking news. Literally just a couple of hours ago, Sherry Lynn Brooks, a.k.a. Sugar Babe, is dead. She just died today. Yeah. How Satan's cock taste, baby. (laughs) So, I mean, that couldn't have been like a better end to this podcast. So I'm glad I was, you know, trolling around on my facebook groups and message boards and stuff but it has been corroborated by multiple groups and people who allegedly live in ohio and finlay and know the family everyone says she's dead so ding dong the witch is dead well you know there's a fucking little sliver of silver lining there this tiniest sliver but yeah so that Shit. that is the story of I, it's not very I don't want to say this Vera Joe's story I'm just saying that that's the story of her murder that's what happened to her yeah <laughs> so again if you've got the stomach we we half-heartedly recommend the documentary and if you want to feel better about your teeth we heavily you know I'm never brushing doc- my teeth again because <laughs> I don't think even if I fucking took a hammer to my face I could look that bad yeah there's one guy that has a gray rainbow for his fucking grill. Yeah. I don't know. I never want to see then, a gray then, rainbow the, again. I, honestly, the worst teeth award other than that. And and I hate to say this because she's fairly innocent in all of this. But Jaws? I, yeah. I really... I want to go fund me for her mouth. It's, uh, it's Punky's baby's mama. Like, she's fine. Like, she does, unfortunately, see... Vera the day that she dies and like they she sees her getting beaten by Chucky with like a fishing pole and stuff and doesn't do anything about it so she's not great all these people are complicit. but she has got the scariest teeth I've ever seen before in my life I think she could take down a shark I, I think she is a shark <laughs> she could be there is some definite like hybrid like sea life mixed with humans here. It's yeah. Like some weird. It's Dagon. HP Lovecraft land. Yeah. It's fucking strange. I don't know what's up with Ohio, but um, I don't think we need it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Allison lives there and listens to this podcast. We're sorry. We'll Move. leave Cleveland there. Yeah. <laughs> <Move>. <laughs> so that's the story for today. Uh, we hope we didn't offend you too badly. Um, And if we did, then you might be on the wrong side of the law (laughs) or humanity because most of the people we made fun of deserved it. They're all pieces of shit. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, that is the undeniable truth. You can join our true crime dumpster Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and many other platforms. Oh, YouTube now. now Although we, we kind of need to YouTube. update that. Yeah. Just audio, though. Maybe someday we'll do video and you can see us fucking up in... In real time. Yeah. 
Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. Tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Human garbage. All right, bye. Bye now.